Well, we've been uh, spending this summer looking at, uh, this, is, this is something we, don't, we probably won't do often, um, but we are preaching a topical series. For the most part, we preach through a book of the Bible. We just finished the book of James verse by verse and uh, preparing this fall to go into the book of Jonah, the minor prophet Jonah. Uh, so I'm excited about that. But we've been spending time this uh, summer looking at the topic of prayer. Um, and for the next four weeks, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer in depth, both out of Luke chapter 11, uh, where, we, where Yvonne just read from, and also Matthew uh, chapter 6. Some of you may know this, but did you know that if you were ever given the opportunity to meet the Queen of England, there are regal rules, the do's and don'ts of meeting the Queen? So here's a few of them, just so you don't go in ill-prepared next time you meet her. So if you're a lady, you curtsy. I was going to curtsy, but somebody's probably videoing and uh, it'll end up on TikTok or something. Or if you're a, a male, you bow. That's uh, rule number one. Uh, the second one is use the right greetings. You can address her as your majesty or ma'am. Make sure you're early. Guests should always arrive before a royal. And also speak if only it requires a response. Be led by her cues, uh, eating when she eats, sitting when she sits, etc. Here are a few of the don'ts. Don't touch her majesty unless she touches you first. If she touches you on the hand, you can touch her hand back. Don't turn your back on your majesty. It's considered rude. And one of the last don'ts is don't ask personal questions. Small talk should be as far as you should go. Now that I've prepared you for the next time you meet the Queen of England, think for just a moment, someone that you love and respect that might have some notoriety or be a famous person, if you were to sit, if you were preparing to meet them, what are some things that you would want to know if you were preparing to meet them? Last year, when Callie and I had COVID, I didn't want to get out of bed. All I did was sleep, drink Gatorade, and watch documentaries on Netflix. One I watched was about a football team at a JUCO school, a junior college in Scuba, Mississippi. Scuba, Mississippi is about 700 people. And it recruited players that would play on their team in hopes of being recruited by big Division I universities like Alabama or Auburn, schools like that. Before a game, the players would bow on one knee as the coach rallied them, and at the end of the, this rally cry, he would begin the Lord's Prayer, and the team would finish it in unison. Now, here's what's important to know about this team, is they were known for being fighters. They would often get in fistfights, not only with each other, but with other teams. And in fact, the coach, they had to end the season early because the coach runs out on the field and actually fistfights one of the referees. What struck me was that the, that the coach took time every game to pray this prayer with his team, and they all knew it by heart by the end of the season, but their actions spoke differently. 
Was it merely a quick incantation in hopes to get a win? Was it a toss-up of a wish to a God they had created in their minds, or was it done simply out of vain religiosity? And here's the question for us. Let me set the tension this morning. Are we guilty of the same? Is the Lord's Prayer just something we know because some of us have heard it all of our lives and it loses its reverence, it loses its depth, and it loses its strength in the familiar? So I want to give you some context as we look at the book of Matthew for the next few weeks. Uh, it's important to get context for a book as we approach it and when, when we apply it, its teaching to our lives. Matthew, in the order of your Bible in the New Testament, is the very first gospel out of, the, out of the four gospels. It was written primarily to a Jewish audience, and it helps us to see Jesus as the Messiah that was foretold of in the Old Testament. That's the first thing. Secondly, he is, Jesus is the true and better Moses who would teach, not only teach the law to God's people, but he would fulfill the law for God's people. And also, that he was the one whom Israel waited on. He was the coming Messiah. These are primary to Matthew's flow and structure. But then we narrow it down to just three chapters, chapters five through seven. This is known as the Beatitudes. Jesus finds himself preaching on a hilltop. This is often called the Sermon on the Mount. And there is much imagery, even him preaching on the mount, there is much imagery that parallels what Moses did in the book of Exodus in receiving the law and then Jesus teaching and preaching the law as the law keeper. Not only did he give the law, but he kept the law in your place and in mine. The Sermon on the Mount gives us eyes to see, this is what I often talk about, having gospel lenses firmly on our face as we approach the, the Bible. The Sermon on the Mount gives us eyes to see how God's people live in God's kingdom. It answers this question, how do God's people live in his kingdom? This is what the law gives us. Again, the law teaches his people the law, and he also fulfills and meets the law. Christ does. Look at Matthew chapter 5. It'll be on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. I want to read these for you. It says, do not, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, Jesus says. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until, it, until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of, the least of the, one of the least of these, excuse me, of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I often talk about this because I want us to get this straight. Jesus is not the nice God that comes in the New Testament to make sure that everybody's like, okay, 
I know God was really mean in the Old Testament. Now the nice God comes and he's like giving everybody suckers and, hey, are you okay? Like making, like checking in with people. God does not change. The same God in the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. Jesus is God Jesus is God, and from his conception in Mary's womb to his ascension to the right hand of God, he keeps the law for God's people. This is the gospel of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives specific instructions on how to pray. But before he does that, he warns us on how not to pray. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. I want you to see this. The Lord Jesus says here, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is? Someone who wears a mask. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be, may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7. And you, when you pray, do not he heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus says, don't pray like this. Take this warning. Look at me, church. Take this warning as a stop sign, not as a yield sign. I know especially here in Borger, people don't see yield signs often. And they hardly see stop signs. But take this as a stop sign. Jesus says, don't do this. Much like regal do's and don'ts, Jesus says, this is pagan prayer. This is rote religiosity. And no one who can do anything about it is actively listening. Don't pray like this. These are selfish and empty prayers. There is no order to their prayers. It is chaotic. There is no, there is no order to their prayers. Now, let's look at our main text for the next few weeks. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I want to give you just the simple structure be, be behind the Lord's prayer. This is how you petition an almighty God. Look at me for just a moment. He's fine. <laughs> he's, he's, he's hot right now, okay? This is how you petition an almighty God. We had a class this morning uh, on prayer. And uh, I said, far too often, especially here in the West, we just think we can approach God however we feel like approaching him. Let me say this. You cannot approach God without Christ. You cannot approach a holy, consuming fire apart from Christ. This is how you petition an almighty God in this prayer. You don't approach him on your own terms, and you don't just ask for whatever you want. You don't have a laundry list and say, well, God, I need a new car, and I need a new job. And I... Now, 
Does the Lord Jesus say we can ask for things? Absolutely he does. Before, we need to align our will to his. Kevin DeYoung, in the book that I'm reading on the Lord's Prayer, he says, there are two main parts to this prayer, two main parts to this prayer under these two headlines with six petitions, okay? Part one is God's glory. If you're a note taker, you can note this. Two parts, part one is God's glory. Under part one is three petitions, God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. Under God's glory, God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. The second part is our good. So we have part one, God's glory, part two, our good. Within our good, we have these three, three, these three petitions, our provision, our forgiveness, and our protection. Our provision, our forgiveness, and our protection. This helps us see why this prayer helps us pray. It is the prayer of prayers. How amazing is it? Think about this for just a moment. How amazing it is, is it that the Son of God would be so kind as to, to give us not only instructions on how to pray, but give us language on prayer. A few weeks ago, we looked at the Psalms in the Old Testament being the hymn book or the prayer book of ancient Israel. And it is for us as well. It gives voice to the prayers we cannot find language for, and it reveals our very hearts to God. The Lord's Prayer does the same. Let me challenge you with this. Let us not kneel in public and say it from memory as an Im empty incantation, but let us tremble at the fact that the God-man, Jesus Christ, puts his words in our mouth. Now I want to end our time this morning just looking at the first few words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Look at the first couple of words, our Father. Now in the original language in New Testament Greek, the R, O-U-R, was not there. So it began with Father, okay? Uh, this was the first word of the prayer. So I want to answer this question, and I've already, I've already fleshed this out some as this series has gone on, but who can call God Father? Only His children. It is limited to His kids that He saves. Look at 1 John in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the, what? The Father has given to us that we should be called, what? Children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Skip over to Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Romans 8, 15 says this. It'll be on the screen for you. For, for you as well. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, what? Abba, Father. This word means Father. Jesus, 
though he is God, calls God Father because of the relationship he has with him. In his, we used this word a few weeks ago, his begottenness. Okay? The Father, listen, let's get this straight. The Father did not create the Son. The Son is, as the Nicene Creed says, very God of very God. He sent the Son to accomplish what we receive in the gospel. Look at John chapter 8. I know I've got you skipping around a lot. John chapter 8, verse 42, the Lord Jesus speaks here. John 8, 42 says this. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. This is the begottenness of Jesus. The Father's love, now I want to say this clearly, because I've heard other pastors say this, that God loves everyone unconditionally. Wrong. There are conditions to be met to be loved by God. You know what that one condition is? To be a sinner. The Father's love is conditional in the fact that you come to Him through the Son as drawn by the Spirit. Once in Christ, when you are in Christ, the Father's love is now unconditional. If you are in Christ, if you are His people, His love for you is now unconditional. If you are not in Christ, God is not your Father. He is your judge. God is not the father of the whole world. Not everyone is his child. I know this is not a popular message to preach in 2022, but because I'm a slave to Christ, I'm a slave to his word. So even this idea of calling God father is not easy for some of us. Your relationship with your dad may have been strained, it may have been distant, it may have been frustrated and cold. And I want to address the reality of the fact that your relationship with your dad could have been abusive, could have been absent, and it could have been apathetic. Let me say this as a pastor, for that I am truly sorry. This is why being a people of the book is so important. We do not judge God as a father through the lens of how your dad was or your experiences. We see God the Father through the lens of the Bible, and we see that he is a good and loving father. The father we long for and will one day satisfy us in, him, in himself. Look at James chapter 1, James 1, 17. Let me find it here. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If you are in Christ, your Father does not change. He is not apathetic and cold. He is not abusive and distant. He is a good father 
who gives good gifts in Christ. I want to go back to the first two words, our Father. Now, and even though it was in the original language, the, the, it did not begin with R, it just began with Father. It's important not to skip over the R, A, oh, I'm sorry, O-U-R. And it does not say my for a reason. This prayer is for the church. God is the father of the church, and we pray this as his people with united hearts, petitioning him that he might be glorified. Look at Psalm in the, in the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. It says, O Lord, what? My Lord? O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. O Lord, our Lord. Let's move on to the next two words, in heaven. Psalm 115, look at these, look at these verses with me. Psalm 115, verse 3. I think it's humid in here because my Bible's like hard to change pages. Psalm 115 verse 3, our God is in where? In the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. Isaiah 66, 1, I'll read this for you, you don't have to turn there. Isaiah 66, 1 says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of rest. It's the idea that our God cannot be held and is at all places at all times. This is him being omniscient. He is infinite and is high and holy. He is creator and we are created. Look at me for just a moment. We are created. God is creator. We need to make this distinction often. We do not create anything. And let, let's get this through our heads, okay? We don't create anything with our words either. God is the only one who can create with his words. Look at the last few words. Hallowed be your name. These four words in the Christian Standard Bible says, your name be honored. To regard the name of God as holy, as exalted, as valued, as treasured. To say this is to, to desire God's name to be honored among all inhabitants of the earth. John Calvin, the great reformer, says, men should never think of God without the highest reverence. In Exodus chapter 3 in the Old Testament, Moses has an encounter with God in the burning bush. He is given instructions on how to approach God. God actually speaks from the burning bush and says, remove your shoes because where you stand is holy ground. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Exodus 3, 13 through 16. Listen what the Lord says about his name. Verse 13, 
Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. This is my name forever. I am who I am. No beginning, no end. The first and the last always existed and will, will never go out of, existent, out of existence. The absolute center of all reality. He says, I am who I am. And how do the people of God use the name of God. Commandment number three in Exodus chapter 20 says, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Is his name revered as holy or is it just another name to you? I want you to, I want you to think about that for just a minute. Is God's name revered as holy or is it just another name to you? This is petition one out of six in the framework of how we pray to God our Father in the glorifying of his name. Now, I know that the question is this. Ricky, why can't we just pray however we feel like praying? This attitude is one of the main issues in modern evangelicalism. Listen to this. A low view of God leads to a low view of scripture, which leads to a low view of prayer. A high view of God leads to a high view of scripture and a high view of prayer. I want to read one more scripture out of Leviticus chapter 10. This is going to be a fun passage to look at and then go to lunch. Leviticus chapter 10 Verses 1 through 3 says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will, I'll, excuse me, near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now, you could say, well, Ricky, that happened in the Old Testament. That, that wouldn't happen nowadays. Here's the truth. Is Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, who were priests, approached God on their own terms. They brought what John MacArthur calls strange fire, unauthorized offering to the Lord. God had commanded it one way, and Nadab and Abihu brought unauthorized fire. 
And the Bible says clearly in the text there, fire came out from the Lord and consumed Nadab and Abihu and killed them. And in fact, if you go on and read, Aaron, their, their dad was not even allowed to mourn their death. This is my name forever. Not just in the Old Testament. And then you can do whatever you want in the New Testament. This is my name forever. This is what the Lord Jesus is helping us see in this prayer. Hallowed be your name. Now, you might be thinking, well, so Ricky, is this, this God seems really temperamental. It seems like if you just do one little thing, he's going to smite you. This is in scripture for us to see that God takes his worship and prayer seriously. We do not approach God on our own terms. And here, I wish we could see this as a kindness from the Lord. Even Nadab and Abihu being consumed by fire, see it as a kindness to the Lord that the Lord Jesus would come and say, this is how you approach and you petition a holy God. Let me give you language to do that with. So you don't feel like you're having to shoot from the hip or, or just come up with something. That is how the pagans pray. Let me give you structure. Let me give you order. Let me give you a way to approach your father. Now here's, we, we've heard plenty of bad news, is that God takes his name seriously, so seriously that he would consume two men with fire. Now here's the good news of the gospel, is that because Jesus came and lived and kept the law perfectly in your place and in mine, we don't have to fear this. We are not destined for wrath. We are destined to be his children. That's why we offer this up to you every week, week in and week out. We say, if you are being crushed by your sin in this place, if you can't run from your sin, the Lord is saving you. Do not leave this place without coming and speaking with one of us so we can pray with you. We can counsel you. We can walk you through what's happening. If you're being crushed by your sin, come to the Lord Jesus. For you will find a fountain of life. You will not find more rules, do this, do this, do this, and you might get in one day. He says, I've done all this. Now you can come. You can come to me. As I've thought through this series, I've thought personally for myself, where do I have a hard time praying? And often the hardest time I have with prayer is that I just feel like I have to come up with my own words, my own things to say. And the Lord says, I've given you this. You can pray this back to me. I've given you structure. I've given you ways to approach me. Pray this way. Pray then like this. And we've said it all throughout this series that you cannot pray and be heard apart from Christ. Place your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, we would ask. If you are in Christ in this place, I want to encourage you with this. 
is how are we approaching prayer? Do we feel helpless when we pray? We're going to take a moment, just we're going to worship and after I finish here, and then we're going to take communion. And when you take communion this morning, I would ask, ask the Lord to search your heart, to search your mind. Lord, where, where are some places in my life that I might not be approaching you in reverence? That I might not be taking the Bible for all it's worth. I might not be using it to my benefit to pray to you. Repent of that sin, put it to death, and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. We do this once a month. We gather around the Lord's table, and we thank him for the sacrifice on the cross and his body and his blood. Let's do that this morning. Let's pray.